The face of Latina professionals propels women of color to reach their highest potential through education, community, and self-development. Join us as we come together to provide a platform for Latina voices to connect and be heard on the Face of Latina Professionals podcast. How you guys doing? I'm Tony Arce, and this is the Face of Latina Professionals podcast. Today, I'm joined by Lupe Rodriguez. Lupe, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It is my pleasure. So, you know, kind of getting into it right away is... You're originally from Chicago, uh, suburbs to be specific, and uh, dad's from Mexico. Correct, yeah. Tell me a little bit about, you know, growing up. So originally I was born in Chicago, downtown actually, Um, but I grew up in Berwyn, the Berwyn Cistro area. Um, For my high school years, I lived in Lockport, which is out by Joliet-ish kind of. Okay. And then, yeah, I lived in Dubai for a few years and came back to Chicago. You have been very well-traveled for the last few years, as I've seen. You know, I have been. I'm excited to get into that part. <laughs> but you know, tell me about growing up in, in Berwyn, Lockport. That's, a you know, f- uh, from my understanding, a very Latino-Hispanic area. So Berwyn is an incredibly Latino-Hispanic area. Gotcha. So that was really nice because I grew up with people who looked like, like me and like had our, my same culture. And I mentioned that because moving to Lockport, Lockport is not oh, Hispanic. It's a very, very, very white oh, community. Okay. Gotcha. Um, So moving from Berwyn to Lockport when I was like 14 years old was such a culture shock for me. I remember when I first went to school, I came home to my grandmother and I was like, Grandma, there's so many white people. (laughs) Because in Berwyn, it was predominantly Mexican um, or Latin general, uh, African-American. Not very many. So it's very like very different. Absolutely. Berwyn was very urban and Lockport was very like country-ish. <laughs> well, and, you know, so I had a, a similar experience in that regard. And, and I think, you know, I want to hear your perspective, right? But like, what did you, how did you feel, I guess, what, what that would be, I guess my, my biggest question is, what was the feeling you had in that culture shock of going from being comfortable in, in your environment because it, you're so similar in, in, in terms of culture, like you said, but then going somewhere else where it's the opposite almost? So in the beginning, I really struggled. What's really funny is most of my friends, not my friends, but just people in general, be like, oh, but you're like a white Mexican. And I never really understood <laughs> what that meant until, believe it or not, I moved to Lockport because growing up in Berwyn, it was a very predominantly, obviously Latin cult, like community. But because my mother's family has been here since 1908, we have very American like values and a very American lifestyle versus the Mexican American lifestyle. So all my friends are like, oh Lupe, you're like a you're a weather. <laughs> yep. And when I moved to Lockport, I realized, oh, like my family acts more like these families. But I wasn't used to being surrounded by people like that. And I wasn't as accepted by the Latin American community in Lockport. So because Lockport was predominantly white. There were small factions in my high school of people of like African Americans and Latin Americans. And I wasn't accepted by the Latin Americans because I was too white per se. But I also didn't really fit in with the the white students because I had never grown up in that environment. And I just, it was such a disconnect to me to try to relate to them. All of my friends my whole life had been Latin. Um, it was a big struggle. It really was. I eventually found my way. But in the beginning, I'd say the first two years are really difficult for me. And everything was so different. Like, this was back in the early 2000s. So, you know, I was like Adidas and Pumas and Baby Fat. And everyone's listening to Nelly. And like, and 
over there in Lockport, it was like Ambercombe and Finch. And everyone listens to punk rock. And like, it was just so different. And right. I was like, what do I do? <laughs> I mean, that, that like, you're, you're speaking my, my experience as well, right? Of, of looking white and not being accepted because, you know, by your own, because you're too white. But then on the other end, you, you, you know, culturally that you're, you know, Latino, Mexican and, and, so you're not accepted by because you look a certain way, right? Exactly. So, like you get, so how did that affect you growing up, right? Because I know how, how you know it, it created a sense of compassion for me, where I just I wanted others to feel accepted where I, I never felt accepted, right? And how, what did that do for you as as you evolved? I think what it really taught me is I. I mean, I've learned from a really young age that I just don't judge people on like what they look like or like not just like their race, but the way they're dressed or where they're from, because that doesn't mean anything. Like I have such a Spanish name, like Lupe Rodriguez, but like, I don't really have a lot of those, those like Latin tendencies, but I get really upset when people say I'm not Mexican right. because like, of course I am. So I don't, when I meet somebody who isn't fitting the standard, I just don't judge them off that standard. Like I don't try to judge people. Like they're like, oh, I'm from China, but that could mean anything, right? Like, <laughs> well, and I think even like to your point of, of early 2000s, you know, at that time you didn't have the Instagram, you didn't have, you know, Facebook, you didn't have those things that um, today have created brought down borders because you look at what Mexicans are doing now, you look at what anyone outside of the United States that looks at us, it's almost like they're just taking on our persona. So what is it now to be, you know, Latino or Mexican outside of the United States? It almost looks like the exact same thing as here. And, you know, it's so funny you mentioned that because so I had that like disconnect, like I'm American, but I'm Mexican, but I'm both. And then I moved to Dubai where there are very few Americans. And then everyone is like, oh, well, you don't look American. And I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, you're Latina. And they would like start speaking Spanish to me and blah, blah, blah. And I was like. Oh, they would assume that you're Latina there? Automatically. No automatically way. they would assume wow. that I was either from Latin America or Spain. And, Interesting. Um, and it was just such a weird, also another really weird like transition because then I had to like represent America in the best way that I could really. Like a lot of the times I would have to wear an American flag and people would like all, always go to me about what it was to be American because there's so few Americans in Dubai. Um, but then also I'm like, but I'm also Mexican. <laughs> like, yeah. It was a very strange time. And like I said, now I'm like, I don't judge anybody by by who they are or what they look like. No, and I think, honestly, the one thing that we don't say enough is how awesome it is to have those experiences, you know, that we take for granted. I, I think, I, I know I, I did growing up that you, know, you, you want to fit in, but at the same time, there's so many of us that never did that as I, you know, have these conversations and you start to, to realize, like, my story isn't so uncommon, right? That this is something that, and that's why I love this podcast and being able to talk about it. But since you brought it up, you know, in terms of uh, of your, your your job, right, and flying, how did you, from being from Berwyn Lockport, right, decide <laughs> that you know traveling the world and 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 being a um, flight attendant, right, was for you? So I have wanted to travel since I was a very, very, like very young age. I lived in Berwyn, which is pretty close to Midway. And from my backyard, we could see the planes taking off from Midway and going like back and forth. And when I was like five, six, seven years old, I would just sit in my backyard on a summer day and watch them like, oh, that one's going to Paris and that one's going to Tokyo. And I knew so badly that I wanted that life too. Obviously at this age, I had no idea that like Midway is a domestic airport. No one's, they're going to Detroit. <laughs> they're going to like DC. <laughs> it's all Southwest. <laughs> It's all Southwest Airlines. But in my head, I'm like, they're going to, you know, Dubai and all these amazing places. Um, so I knew from a young age that I wanted to travel. I've always been passionate about other cultures, um, 
just different from American cultures. I'd always had that, like, I want to see the world. I want to meet new people. I want I knew that I wanted to live in a foreign city. I knew that I wanted foreign friends. I used to write down every single day what I wanted my goals to be and always travel the world, live in a different city, have different friends, do all these things, visit all these countries, see all these monuments. And I really, I'd like specifically write them down every single so day. So you were vision boarding so before I was cool. vision before it was cool. Like I knew, I was like, everyone step aside. Like I did, I manifested stuff already. That's awesome. Um, so when I was in... I was 19 years old. My best friend invited me to go with her and her family to Greece because her parents are from Greece. What an experience. Oh, incredible. So that was my first time leaving the country. I'd never been to Mexico. I'd never been to Canada. My first time leaving the country was to Greece. Did they assume that you were Greek in Greece? Actually, some people did, would, <laughs> believe it or that, not. Yeah. <laughs> um, and when I went there and I was there for about two and a half months, I spent the summer there. I just, oh God, so I was 19 years old and I'd already been writing all these goals. I'm like, I'm going to find a way to come back here in the next five years. I'm like, there is no way that I'm not re-experiencing Athens and Sparta again. I'm like, I'm going to figure it out. So that's when I kind of started looking into like different airlines to work for. And I was 19. So none of the big ones like United or American would hire me. You have to be 21 years old. Right. So I put it off for a little bit of time, went to school. Um, and then, yeah, I just got, I think I was like 22, 23. I kind of got the bug again. And I was like... I'm going to apply for an airline. So I typed in best airline in the world and Emirates airline came up and this is pretty shallow, but they had like this beautiful uniform and red lipstick. I was like, okay, like I want to work for the airline with a pretty flight attendant. Yeah, hey, nothing shallow about uh, that. I applied for the job, but I also did a ton of research. So I went online and this again was before Instagram was huge or vlogs were huge. Now you can find so many Emirates right. girls that talk about like what it's like to work for them in the interview process. No one had done that. So I had to like really piece together what the interview process is like, what they were looking for. I mean, I spent hours online researching how to get this job. I was so determined to get this job. Um, and I also started my own blog about the process because I was like, nobody else has talked about how to do this and I want to help other people do this. Good for you. So I don't know how familiar you are with Emirates Airline, but one of the sayings oh. is that it's harder to get into Emirates than it is to get into Harvard oh. because wow. they get thousands upon thousands, I think 10 to 20,000 applications a month. It's They hire wow. from all over the world. And I think only the top like 0.5% are accepted. Wow. So I knew that I really had to stand out because the interview that I was going to was in Washington, D.C. There were 60 other people with me and I'm like, I need them to like, they're going to hire me. <laughs> so I put a lot of time and effort into getting that job. And then I did. What would you say was, <laughs> was the biggest reason that you felt prepared, but that they hired you, you know? So truly the day that I was supposed to fly out of Midway on Southwest <laughs> to Washington, DC, somebody, I don't know if you remember this, somebody lit the air traffic control tower on fire that, that like no. does the Midwest region. So all flights were grounded because oh. you, you need ATC. Um, so I get to the airport and they're like, we're not flying till tomorrow. I'm like, no, no, my interview is at nine o'clock in the morning, tomorrow morning. So I looked at my best friend who was coming with me and I was like, we have to drive. So we got into the car and drove 12 hours overnight to Washington, D.C. so that I could be there. Wow. I think we got in at like 2.30 in the morning. Wow. And I woke up at 6 a.m. and shaded my hair and makeup because you have to be very like. Right. And I chugged a Red Bull and I was like, I'm getting this job. And then when I had my final interview, because the Emirates interview process. And what time was uh, the final interview? <laughs> so it was, two, it was a day later because the Emirates uh, interview process is really, it's crazy. It's like an all day event. And then if you pass the all day event, you get 
the final interview. I think what got me the job was explaining to her that I drove 12 hours to get here. And I she was like, what? And I was like, yeah, no, I'm like, I want this job. I'm like, I drove 12 hours through the night, through mountains to get here. <laughs> Good for you. I knew that... I was getting the job. <laughs> Man, it seems like whatever you want, you're going to get. So watch well, I feel out. Like somebody told me a long time ago when I was quite young that like when life, when you want something and like obstacles come in your way that means you're super close and you just have to push harder absolutely and so i believe that when that happened i'm like i'm really meant to get this job because my mother was like oh it's not meant to be i'm like no mom i'm like i'm so close this this big crazy thing happening is a sign that i'm supposed to have this job how bad do you want it right? exactly yeah. i'm like i'm gonna get this job <laughs> so, so i mean if, if your mom is you know kind of telling you maybe it's not meant to be where are you getting the, these thoughts these yeah this mindset where, where did this come from you know i and i've always wondered that because i've been really into like we were talking earlier like spirituality and personal growth from a very young age i was reading self-help books back in like 2004 2005 wow. when i was quite young and i just always believed uh, maybe oprah winfrey <laughs> i watched a lot of oprah i think i just always had a mindset that like you are the creator of your life I had a good childhood, but we grew up really poor and there was a lot of drama and um, just a lot of conflict within my family. So I always knew that I wanted to find a way kind of out of that life. And flying also was a good way because the, getting the job at Emirates meant I had to move to Dubai. And at the time I was so miserable in my home life. I'm like, I need to leave. I want to get out of here. And I was like, a foreign country sounds great. <laughs> I mean, kudos to you on every level, right? But if, if, if someone's out there listening, I guess the question I'd have is, is, is where can I get this inspiration, right? How, how can I find this within me? Because it's from a cultural perspective, everything you're saying, it almost seems like the, the odds are stacked against you. And, and you're like, yeah, odds, what do those mean, right? <laughs> I, I, this is what I want. I'm going to get it. Was there a point where you knew you were different or was there this point where you made a decision to be different? I think, so to answer your first question, I think everybody has that, what I'm describing, I think that lives within everybody. And for some people like me, it is blaringly loud and for others it is very quiet. But I think that to like want to change your life or want to do the things that you want to do in life lives within you. Yeah. I think the dreams that you have from childhood or whenever in your life are not there by accident. I think that's your calling in life. And rather, again, it's loud or it's quiet, it's there. Um, and I'm sorry, what's the other question? <laughs> <laughs> did you, I guess, recognize you were different or did you make a decision to become different? No, I knew I was different from gotcha. a very young age. Even from, I didn't have many friends when I was younger. I was so unpopular. No, I'm kidding. But oh. I, I really didn't though because I had a very strange mindset, a very different mindset. Like I said, I was always fascinated with other cultures. I was never into the, in Berwyn or in Lockport, I was never into the things that kids my age were into. And I like, I knew I wanted to travel from a very young age. I knew I didn't want to live in the United States. Like even when I was, 22, 23 years old, I had this boyfriend who was like, I want to get married and I want to like live in this town forever and we'll get a job at this office and we'll get a dog and we'll get a house and we'll have babies. And that's, that's a wonderful dream for a lot of people. I'm not trying to like that, but everyone around me wanted that life. Yeah. And I was like, I can think of nothing worse. Yeah, same, same. And actually thinking of that friendship group from that time, that boyfriend and all, we had like a very close group of friends. There's about 12 of us. They are all still friends. I was just on Facebook the other day watching them. They all have babies now and they all have a little house party and that's, and that's great for them. And I'm happy that they achieved their dreams. And I remember being like, you don't want anything more than this. <laughs> like you want to stay in the same town for the rest of your lives. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I couldn't agree more, right? And that's, that's I think, why 
we've been drawn so much to, to one another in these conversations that we've had. But, but that's the thing is, I think a lot of people don't know any different, right? That it's, it's not that they want that, but it's just almost the only choice, or it seems that that's the only choice. That's the mindset is that the program is, you really can't have much more than this, right? You're not meant to have much more than this. What do you tell those people that say, you know, Lupe, I, I hear what you're saying. I'm one of those people, but I don't want to be like, this is, this, this is boring. <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is whatever. Like I want this excitement I want, but I don't know how to get it. What would you tell those people? I mean, like I was saying earlier, like there's always something within you. Like people say, I don't know how to get it, but I think people do know how to get it. I think everyone has a dream or desire within them. And I think it's just explore that dream or desire. Like even if you have like, I want something new, I want something different, go do something new, go do something different. Even if it's like taking a class that you've always been interested or talking to a person who lives, you know, down the street or something, just do things that big or small that are risky, that are in the direction of something that you're passionate about, whatever that may be. Because like you said, I feel like people do know. They know what they want in life. They're just afraid to take the risk to go do it. Absolutely. No, it's so prevalent. And it's not just in Latino culture. I think it's every culture, right? There's a reason that it's the word exists to be average, and, and it's because it's the majority. And, and it's a common mindset of people to have to take the comfortable, easy way out. And it can be really difficult, particularly in the Latino Latino culture, because um, I love the Latino culture. Obviously, it's my culture. But there's a lot of resistance to change and doing things that are very different. So, for example, when I did get that job, um, my mother had a nervous breakdown. And she told me that if I left and moved to Dubai, I'd be no daughter of hers. What? Really? Just because I come from a very traditional Mexican family. And, like, the women in my family don't leave home until they're married. Right. Right. And, and then even recently, like, one of my aunts is like, when are you going to settle down and have children? You know, it's... I think it's hard in Latin cultures to break away from that kind of like, we have to do things this way mindset. And it can be scary because families only love, they love you and they want to support you and there's no ill intention there, but it's hard to break away from a culture like that, to take big risks, to go do things that are untraditional from just what everyone else around you is doing. And how do you handle that? How do you respond You know, to the dogma of those cultural biases or cultural expectations? I think it's important to know that like, Again, the Latin community is so beautiful because we're so connected and we're so caring for each other. And that usually that kind of dogma, that kind of it's fear based and it's but that fear based is coming out of a place of love, like the people in your life love you and they're afraid for you. And that's why they don't want you to change because change is scary and changing in others makes us uncomfortable because it's like, oh, does that mean we have to change? So I think when you're facing that, not to get discouraged, knowing that they're still coming from a place of love, but also that you have to love yourself more, even if it makes other people around you uncomfortable. Well, it's a lot of compassion in that yeah. and wisdom. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, and I guess with that, you had mentioned you know, the spiritual part of things and kind of a deeper knowing within you from an early age and, and exploring that. Again, is that something that was different? Did you notice that in terms of your, I guess, spiritual awareness or spiritual pursuit, that it was different than what was around you? Yes. So I was raised Catholic, um, like Same. most Latins, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> most Latin people were yeah. raised yeah. Catholic, um, but I had a very spiritual grandmother. So I'm very blessed to have had her in my life. I, she lived with me my whole life until she died. And her faith was so inspiring because it wasn't just the traditional Christianity. She really believed in something bigger and greater than us. And uh, what she really taught me about 
religion was love, that it's all love-based, kind of like what we were saying earlier. If you really look at the teachings of Jesus Christ, it's very much love-based. All love, right? And I think the way that she shaped me, the way that she taught me, because I went to CCD and like church like everybody else, but her teachings were, I think, the most profound <clears throat> thing in my life in terms of my spirituality. So I always did have like, even in, in moments when I didn't realize it, because of her, I always had that spiritual energy in me. I always believed that God was with me. I always believed there were, that God was working miracles for me because I was taught this from a very, very young age. Well, you're blessed. Oh, you are I'm, blessed. I'm, yeah, I'm very blessed. And yeah. I realize not everyone had that experience with the Catholic Church. And I'm really lucky to have had such a beautiful teacher. I mean, absolutely. I, I can't say enough about that, yeah. right? <laughs> oftentimes, I think, especially for me, you know, going on these spiritual pursuits or journeys, whatever, whatever you want to identify with, you know, it can be, at the beginning, it was very lonely, right? N now, I don't call it being lonely. I feel alone, but not lonely. There's a huge difference in that. And to have that growing up, I just can't imagine how amazing that, that would have been. But it's also led you to where you're at today that you seem very evolved. And, and then your, your, the way that your mind works uh, is very beautiful, but it's also different, right? And, and I think... One of the conversations we had earlier was just about that and how not everybody's at that place that if you were to talk to someone who isn't there yet, they, they wouldn't believe you. They would just, they would struggle to, to, to really grasp anything, right? When did you start to see that be so different for you in terms of, like, I can't have this conversation with just everybody or and, anybody, right? Like, you know, with just anybody. Yeah, so I think um, it was shortly. So my grandmother died in 2016, and that really rocked my I'm my spirituality. My faith. Yeah. No worries. I mean, it's part of life. It's part, right? of, life. It's yeah, part of life. Yeah. But that really rocked me, and I started what we were describing earlier as the dark night of the soul. Mm -hmm. And emerging from that, that's when I started to realize, like, oh, not everybody is on the same can have the same conversation with me about like what we're discussing here just because I think sometimes you have to go through not necessarily but to understand what we're talking about you kind of have to have a profound like aha moment and once I realized that everyone around me hadn't had that moment or they might never have that moment I was like okay this isn't just something that I can openly talk about I sound a little bit crazy <laughs> yeah no um, and again, from a Catholic perspective, when I was first introduced to this around that same time my grandmother died, I remember thinking like my friend who really got me into spirituality, I was like, this, this is like contradicting what the church teaches. Like, do you hear yourself? Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. this is kind of like blasphemous. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> and now when I talk to religious people, particularly my family, they're like, Lupe, like, don't say that. I'm like, oh, it's all the same thing. They're like, no, shh. Right? <laughs> it, it's true though. I mean, you, yeah, I... I... I mean, I love, I love that you've had that experience and understand that, but I also think that, you know, sometimes it is a requirement of life is to go through those difficult times, those dark hours of the soul, right? Or dark night of the soul where you question everything, right? And it seems like on some level, maybe, I don't know, maybe you already had a vision of change when you started, you know, your job and traveling and all that. But now you're at this place where you're evolving past uh, uh, the airline work and getting into psychology and pursuing that as well too, right? You know, it's so funny because my vision of change for, so becoming a flight attendant, living in Dubai, traveling the world, it was a very, I'm not going to say it's a 
I mean, it was a very shallow vision. Like I had envisioned this very fabulous, very like Instagram worthy life for myself. And that's what my goals were. And I, I made it happen. I lived in Dubai when I was on yachts with princes and I was in Tokyo and Paris and London and like traveling and shopping and going to clubs. And it was this like really, it's everything that I thought I had wanted. And like I said, I would write my goals down every day. I just wanted to get out of the terrible life that I was in prior. And I thought that having this beautiful movie-esque life was going to be that great change for me. And it wasn't. I was still weirdly as miserable living this dream life as I was back in my kind of, you know, traumatic home life and, and surrounded by people who didn't want anything more in their lives. So I was like, why am I still as miserable as I was when I was at home having a boring nine to five job? I couldn't figure it out. And then my grandmother died. And I would say that was the great shift into spirituality where I was like, there's nothing outside me that can make me happy. It has to come from within. Absolutely. No, we're um, always putting that, that ex- <laughs> the, the, the experience of being at peace outside of ourselves, right? It's always, if we get this thing and we do this thing and we have this thing, but it's never... I am peaceful. I'm, I am at peace. That's a very hard concept. It is. And it was just, it was just so, it took me years to learn because like I said, I was living my literal dream life and I was still so unhappy. It was such a, I feel like not that everyone needs to go through that. Certainly not, but it was very eye opening. Uh, but then you're very self-aware. I mean, it seems like it. And, and, and how can you discredit or discount an experience that led you to something, right? It's, 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 it's part of the journey. Yeah, and it exactly. seemed like you had to go through it to know that it wasn't meant for you. And so at, at what point did you decide that, you know, you wanted to pursue something different? So I would say during the pandemic, um, I was, so now I'm a private flight attendant. I transitioned <laughs> from flying with Emirates to flying on corporate jets. And I was working with a famous company called VistaJet. Oh, no, yeah, and I Vista. at the height of the pandemic, like I would say mid 2020, I was like, I just, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm like, this isn't fulfilling me. I was much more fulfilled than I was living in Dubai because I was back home living in a foreign country made me realize I need to be surrounded by friends and family and people who really love me. Um, I was like, I'm happy, but I'm not happy. This isn't what I want to do with my life. Like Mm. I knew that I wanted to help people. I knew that I wanted to really just, you know, just do things that were meaningful to me and helping others and healing others has always been something, again, from a very young age that I was really interested in. So I was like, it's time for me to transition out of this. So then I, you know, went to went back to school, went to Loyola University for my BA in psychology. Good for and you. And now here I am, graduated in December, and now I start my master's program in the fall. Congratulations. That's Thank amazing. You. So so many amazing things. And, <laughs> you know, we're just honored that uh, you shared your story on the podcast and are so excited to see what things that the universe brings you in the future. But I just want to thank you for sharing and, and being a part of this. Thank you so much. <laughs> Till the next it's been a time. a pleasure.